Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and doing excerpts about the exceptional. Hosted by Audrey Naidu. Sit back, relax, and I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. This episode is sponsored by Luminate. Luminate builds an integrated understanding of digital strategies and data analytics to help marketers execute with confidence. Hello everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Digital with myself, Audrey Naidu. The approach to strategically managing brands has changed significantly in the last five years as online consumer behavior, social media interactions and platform usage have increased tenfold. The term big data refers to the volume, velocity and variety of data that puts it beyond the scope of the traditional enterprise data analysis tools. Organizations need to be able to access and effectively analyze this data in order to manage their brands. In this growing space, an organization must not only be able to assess its brand against corporate and business objectives, but must also be able to design and implement the correct campaigns and initiatives that produce measurable value and results. My guest today is Matthias Esterhazen, co-founder of Luminate, a digital consultancy focusing on evidence-based digital strategy and creative intelligence. How's it, Matthias? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us in person in the studio. Absolute pleasure. Good to be out. Let's get down to it. You started Luminate in 2020 in the midst mm. of pandemic. Talk about bad timing. Yes. Um, th- that's one thing I won't be known for is, is good timing. My first day at Luminate or as Luminate was the first day of level five lockdown. So um, I got to spend three months in isolation with my thoughts about starting a company and, and doing all these like, you know, making these big decisions. So, um, yeah, don't come to me with ad- uh, advice for timing things correctly because that's not my strength. Um, it sits in a very narrow um, corridor. Yeah, but I mean, you're sitting with me today, <laughs> so obviously something worked. Yeah, I mean, like um, ha- having three months in lockdown with no um, distractions really helps you focus on the thing you're trying to solve and um, just getting to grips with what is a very, very complex uh, a topic. So it, some silver lining um, to, to, the, uh, to the lockdown. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you and I feel very passionate about analytics, data, brand measurement. And I want to start at the beginning because we did discuss this a couple of days ago in terms of what is the current state of the effectiveness of marketing and advertising? So I would say that the current state is um, inconclusive uh, in a lot of companies in well, we've seen over the last couple of years, and there's been a couple of studies um, coming from the UK, um, from IPA in the UK, around some around the kind of crisis in creative effectiveness and, and crisis in advertising. One of the big studies from that was by two strategists and consultants called Benet and Field, uh, called the long and the short of it. Um, and in there, they, they talked about this crisis of short-termism where there's been a shift from marketer side into things that work very well in the short term. And those things tend to be sales activation messages. That's had in turn 
a very big effect on the amount of effort spent on brand building activity, um, leading over the last couple of years to a decline in marketing effectiveness. Since the studies come out, in the UK at least, there's been some turnaround around that, where a bit of a balance of sales to brand building works come back into the into focus. But what we're seeing on the ground quite a bit is a lot of stuff is being measured. It's not clear how useful that those measurements are. Okay, yeah, I completely agree with that trend towards short-termism. And, you know, there's, there's even a view that brands have no place in the modern world. And we need to understand why is brand building so important for sustainable growth. Yeah. So but if we look at the type of messages that marketing um, puts out, um, on the one end of the spectrum, you have sales activation. That's the kind of message that has a, some, of, some of urgent call to action or limited appeal or a very strong kind of rational basis to it, like a buy one, get one free kind of a message. On the other side of the spectrum is a message that's meant to build the brand, which in some quarters seems like a fuzzy thing. You know, sales has the nice conversion metric attached to brand building. It's like, oh, how do I measure that? What, what is that? At its core, a brand building message is the thing that sticks with you over time. It is the thing that makes me consider a brand over the long term. Um, I might not be in the market for a vehicle right now, but I see enough messages um, from automotive uh, companies that resonate with me on, same, uh, on some level, on some kind of emotional level. Something sticks out for me. So when I'm in the market to then purchase a product, it's in my consideration set. I'm familiar with it. I've got you know the warm, fuzzy feelings towards it. Um, and now I'm in a purchase cycle. The problem with over-indexing on sales messages is sales is really good at driving volume. Right? It is the thing that gets a lot of people in the door. It is not a thing that's very good in defending your price. It doesn't build a price premium. It's quite often undermines price premium, especially if you have specials that you put on offer. Brand, brand building is the thing that builds a pricing margin or premium into your product. So you're not commoditized. So when you over-index on sales, over the long term, you're undermining your profitability. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think that's that's one aspect of the issue or challenge currently. The other issue is that we are sitting across multiple channels and there's uh, a ton of data being produced every single day. Um, and the way we're analyzing that data is very linear. We, we're looking at historical trends, uh, campaigns that's already been done. I mean, surely we've moved past that by now. I think to an extent. I would even say that our grasp of historical data is fairly poor. Um, getting a good handle on your data requires planned effort. Um, although we get a lot of data from the media platforms um, and, and digital platforms, to begin with, the the kind of natural state of that data is in answering media-related questions. It doesn't help us understand brand-building-related questions. When we use that data in its kind of basic form to assess results, 
we'll get efficiency results, your cost per impression, cost per click, cost per conversion. Again, it doesn't tell me anything about whether my message was interesting to people. So to begin with, our grasp of historical data is poor. And if that doesn't, um, if you don't have a strong grasp of historical, you can't get into a state of any form of predictive analysis. Yes, and then, you know, I know back to your passion point, what is the role of measuring creative? You know, mm. what is the need to measure creative as we as we actually add to our data sets? So study from Nielsen and Google, and I think this was released in 2017, um, looked at the things in advertising that affect its effectiveness. 48% of an interaction's effectiveness is due to creative. It is the thing that I'm seeing and responding to. The rest of it is made up of, out of your kind of various media um, levers you have to pull, like the degree to which you target or focus on a target market, the channels you use, the amount of um, like spend obviously has a massive effect on it. But if, if you want to understand whether your advertising has an impact, First, like you have to understand what are you telling people? What are you communicating? And is the thing we are showing people interesting? It's no use having a message in front of someone and the message ends up being annoying to them or even worse, just wallpaper that's not even acknowledged. We spoke about analytics and data uh, and we're saying that it's in sufficient in its current state and we're now looking at more advanced forms of analytical uh, support mechanisms resources uh, and I guess that's one of the reasons why you you know came up with Luminate to solve for some of those issues that's currently a gap in the marketplace yeah what we're trying to do is for us the media analytics has progressed quite nicely we have very clear views and sophisticated models to describe media channels impact they all have their weaknesses in in how you track marketing analytics and media analytics but it, it's fairly robust and the data is accessible but as we see from consumer behavior with the you know the rise in ad blocking because ads are annoying ad avoidance behavior because again ads are annoying um for us, there's a, there's a gap in acknowledging what people were reacting to. It's great that my cost per click is, is down, but once controlling for media influences, you know, is there anything else I can draw from White Winter? Like, what were people actually responding to? If we're pouring a lot of money into digital advertising and social advertising, yes, media channels take a lot of the budget, but that budget is at risk if the message I'm putting out doesn't relate back to what I'm trying to stand for as a brand. If the content I'm producing isn't particularly eye-catching or interesting to consumers or to users. So how do you figure out what works well? A uh, very long process. Um, so to begin with, we have a process of understanding what people saw. Right. So we look at the things that are being produced, the things that are being put out on, onto our digital platforms, onto websites, onto media platforms, and then describing what those things were about. From the very like factual things, oh, I can see a car with people and house and whatever. But more interesting to us is the subjective things that we are embedding into images. Brand strategy and comm strategy 
consists of a lot of work in communicating certain value propositions or aspects of a brand. We work with marketers to understand what those things are. Right? So if you as a brand, you want to stand for innovation, cool. Help me understand what innovation looks like to you. And then we go through the things you produce, the assets you put online, and measure or track how well or to what extent a piece of communication, the visual, the video, the text, communicates or touches on that thing you want to be known for, that theme or that brand pillar you want to stand for. So that's a, a process of annotating and describing the data, the, the content itself as a, as a form of data. The next thing we do is have a measure to describe success. Right? And there's two things we can look at there. One thing is your, your, your classic media metrics, your cost per numbers, cost per click, cost per view, cost per impression, whatever. The other thing is to look at the level of interest a piece of content created. Because right? I don't expect all of my messages, especially if I'm pushing brand building as an objective for a message, I don't actually care if people click on the thing right now because I want to um, have like an emotional, it's an emotional message, not an urgent call to action message. So in those instances, we're actually looking for levels of interest in a piece of content. Right? So using the data we, we get from digital platforms and social platforms and media providers, we benchmark um, interest levels in a piece of content, in an asset. Right? So now if you imagine you have a shoot with a car in it, with a happy family, that specific piece of footage goes onto Twitter, Facebook, Insta, TikTok, GDN, YouTube, whatever. We have a look at, compared to a platform's general performance levels of interest, did this thing actually generate more or less interest than I'd normally expect it to? Now there's obviously a whole bunch of calculations that goes into that. But fundamentally, it's a measure of interest because our departure point is that good quality content generates more interest than low quality content or boring content. Obviously, unless it's controversial, but that's easy to control for. So there's two main arms to it, to kind of summarize. One is we describe the content in terms of what people see, but also the themes that are embedded in it. The second thing is we measure that piece of content's performance against the objective it was set out to achieve. If it's a sales objective, we'll measure it against sales. If it's a brand objective, we measure it against some um, interpretation of interest. Did this thing stimulate interest with consumers? So essentially what you're saying is instead of uh, spray and praying, you should start from a place of strategy. Yeah. build your strategic themes or pillars and then define your KPIs up front. Yeah. Okay. So what we find a lot is strategies within marketing tends to be fairly well structured. Like marketers know what they want to achieve with it. Mm -hmm. When it goes into production and execution, the agencies involved and the creatives involved take that on board and they design things accordingly. But when marketers or agencies are trying to report on it, those decisions aren't captured. They aren't embedded into it. So, you know, a week after the campaign, it's difficult to kind of to tell, well, what did we speak about and did we achieve that objective? Um, over a year-long period, is impossible. 
because the data doesn't exist. So for us, it's like bridging that gap in, this is what you set out to do. This is what we are briefing agency to do. At the same time, briefing data. Like what are we trying to capture and measure so that when the campaign goes live, we know the system is set up to listen for the things we want to learn. Is that process automated or still manually driven? Um, it's actually, it's a business process design. Okay. Um, and there's two areas because a lot of the stuff in terms of, of content annotation, we're trying to take subjective themes and make them um, consistently um, tagged and, and labeled. There's a process where we define what that framework looks like. So again, what does innovation look like? Um, it is certain uses of technology or focus on a certain feature, et cetera, et cetera. A couple of questions we have on that. So there's two places in which that gets, that gets um, tracked. Ideally, prior to things going live. So when an asset is produced, you have a shoot and you have all your cut downs, we label and log the assets at that point in time. With some, in some cases where there are too many moving parts or it moves too quickly or the process is inflexible, we'll do that post. So as a thing goes live, we can pull the data and we'll apply the framework ourselves. Ideally, you'd want um, the creators and the marketers involved to help define what those labels are. Yes, I guess it, it's got to actually align to what their core objectives are or their mm. approach to your naming taxonomy. Yeah. Okay. So by the time we get to taxonomy, um, luckily things get easy. Because um, once the thing is labeled, then it's automated. Very, very easy and, and happy to do uh, and easy to do. So the process of saying, oh, this ad spoke about... Um, Family lifestyle is a thing we want to be known for, whereas this thing talked about um, technology innovation. Making sure that we consistently capture what those themes are is basically the crux of the entire thing. And so we're, we're very heavily involved there. And it's mostly a conversation with the marketer because the marketers know what that looks like. And the agencies internalize what that looks like as well. We're just trying to formalize that process a bit. And how do you bring all of this home, speaking from an analytical or more advanced analytical tool? Mm. What tools would you use to deliver this? So we slot in with the BI tools that marketers use because the big part of our job actually sits in data management. Um, there's a pipeline we have to get data from the platform, integrated with the metadata describing the content, doing the calculations, and then making the data available. That's actually the majority of our work. Some clients don't have, either they don't have internal BI to, um, teams or they don't have access to those BI teams because they, they are um, they deprioritized from marketing spend. So then we'll, we'll build the tools in whatever tool is, is, is most convenient for clients. So the, the big ones that, that most clients will have access to, Power BI, Tableau, ClickSense, um, so we'll happily tap into whatever. Uh, same thing actually goes for extracting the data. So we've got tooling on our side to get data from Facebook and Google and whatever. Uh, but a lot of clients already have that. So again, we'll happily slot in there because the thing we are doing is taking the standard data from Facebook, adding a layer of metadata describing the content and doing calculations with what we know those data, those fields are. Mm. So we, 
it's more that they're managing that entire process that we focus on. So it's so hopefully the market on their side can really just focus on digging into it and, and kind of exploring the data rather than figuring out, you know, how does Twitter define a video view versus Facebook defining a video view. Yeah, so you're building more granular measurement yeah. touch points or events and then you're then aggregating yeah. it to a more strategic level to yeah. slot in. Based on your experience now, having two years of working with clients directly, do you also then uh, evaluate what is that waiting on brand versus sales activation, for example? Yeah, I mean, we haven't gone into detail into um, proper marketing mix modeling because um, you're looking there at a very long-term and in-depth uh, analysis. The rule of thumb in brand versus sales um, activation is 60-40 split in favor of brand. To get a more specific weighting, uh, brands need to kind of engage. I think the most sophisticated model or standard model available is marketing mix modeling. That'll help me understand, um, again, sales and my marketing activities per channel, per day, and take into account uh, seasonality and any uh, extraneous or exogenous um, influences. What is my, my um, impact of, of marketing? And you need to separate it from brand and sales as well. I think getting to a like a prescriptive uh, model of, oh, this is what my marketing has to do every single day um, is probably a um, hopeful. Uh, I don't think it's, it's even either possible, even desirable to do. Um, I'm skeptical about uh, to the extent to which data can prescribe to people how to create creative content or how to market to another person because marketing at its end, uh, fundamentally is about understanding people and designing solutions for people. People can't be described perfectly by data so it's for me a stretch to, you can do it in aggregate and but there'll always be some margin of error that you need to be aware of. So data is a tool I don't think it is the complete solution to perfect attribution and perfect explanation of I did this thing in March and that's led to a sale two months down the line. You're right. A lot of brands struggle with total attribution. Mm. Um, so back to this now, because I think what I'm really interested in is if you have multiple product sets. Yeah and you're building multiple content sets yeah. for each of your product. Yeah. Uh, it becomes difficult, for example, if you're sitting at a group level and you want to measure the impact of your brand yeah. or try to put a framework or a scorecard towards brand equity yeah. or brand consideration measures mm. because you need to find a way to remove the manual process yeah. and bring and automate it as much as possible. Yeah. So is there a way of doing that? Yeah. A lot of it is, again, it's process design. It is in, in and it, it goes very granular. It is down to the person booking that ad that they implement a naming conversion in a very specific way. Um, we've seen some clients who have naming conventions, but because they don't have the tooling to enforce naming convention in a certain way, it basically becomes useless. So to get a little bit technical now, um, when you do a naming convention, there's a couple of things you want to embed into what that name means, right? So you want to talk about, oh, this was this product, came from this budget, 
um, item. It uh, was for this campaign. It talked about this thing. So there's some basic things you want to talk about. Uh, and that's before you even get to the content itself being tagged. Those groupings of things will be separated by delimiter, right? So an underscore or a pipe um, character. If you get the delimiter wrong, then there's a lot of work you have to do downstream to actually now figure out that one, it was wrong, and now I have to have a fix um, to actually extract the right data from it. So it really goes down to process design and making sure that if you want to build something on data analytics, you have to make sure that your data is right to begin with, because um, otherwise you're starting to build on very, very shaky ground. Um, Mislogging a thing like, oh, it actually wasn't this product or something completely different. Massive, massive problem. If that stuff's fine, and again, there's, there's ways that you can restrict mistakes or limit mistakes um, by making things, like if you want to build a naming convention for your next Facebook campaign, it is done through a platform where you select things, you don't input things, and then it spits out your naming convention, you know, happiness. Mm. With that stuff being settled, again, the pulling of data, the aggregation, the, the visualization, that stuff is automated. Where we've seen things fall flat is right at the beginning, beginning. of it. It's how you plan, well, I wouldn't say how you plan. How do you orchestrate yeah. this ecosystem with multi-dimensional yeah. facets of platform, yeah. creative, size, yeah. format, everything? Yeah. So some of the stuff you, you, you don't have to go. To, so luckily, okay, once you understand like what's embedded in a, in a data set to begin with, you, you can limit the amount of things you embed in there. So format we can extract, uh, platform you can extract. Um, Facebook ads, for instance, the, the, it'll tell you, was this thing posted on Facebook network, on Facebook, or on Instagram? It's like, okay, cool, I can extract that. So what do I actually need to know? It is the things that are more difficult to link. Um, so what we'll often do is link it to the a campaign ID or an asset ID. It's like, cool, I just need to know which campaign was this thing was about and what are you showing people? because I can have a separate sheet that then describes that campaign in more detail. Right? This is what we're trying to do, this is the target market. And for that asset, I can go, oh, th this was the amount of production budget invested into this thing. Uh, this is the amount of cut downs I got from it. And I can get my relative cost for a given asset. And that stuff's fine. So yet it is a strong process requirement to it. But then also looking at how can I reduce the amount of moving parts at any given point? So that the person doing it, because it always comes down to people implementing mm. a certain thing. So the person doing it has as few things to worry about as possible. Have you heard of a tool called Cardinal? No. Okay, that is a naming taxonomy software that's right. a plug-in to Adobe Analytics. Oh, right. I'm not sure. It's not a solve for, for, for Google Analytics, yeah. but definitely uh, a starting place mm. because it's it's very it can be very powerful yeah. when you start to automate it and remove the margin of error. Yeah. For example, from your your ad ops team yeah. that is doing the tagging mm. or the campaign ID or and all of that. What I have noticed, to be honest with you, that 
there is very little interest shown from the creative agency in participating and being involved in this. Yeah. And what's happening is that clients are pushing for this to happen. Yes. You know, it's it's a very hygiene factor yep. that you don't consider because you want you only want to concentrate on the sexy bit, you know, like yeah. how big is my investment? What is a big idea? You know, yeah. am I doing TV first or I've got a digital first strategy? Sure. The thing is, if you can't measure it and the effectiveness and impact of it, yeah. then you're wasting all of that investment. And I think, you know, it's it's going back to that strategic conversation. Marketing needs to stop being downstream and an operational function. And we need to actually be uh, participating in this growth conversation. Yeah. We need to be a valuable contributor to it. And yeah. the only way we can is if we bring the science of it into yeah. the mix yeah. that we start talking numbers you know that yeah. we start to see what works well what doesn't work well yeah. you know how do we test and learn refine the process iterate reiterate and learn from it yeah. over time one of my biggest um realizations or, or points where i started getting annoyed with the application of analytics in creative uh, and in advertising was I headed up social media and digital at, uh, at an agency here. And the reports we did, we kept on coming back with the same learnings, like month after month after month. Like at some point, question pops like, why aren't we actually learning? If we keep on noticing this thing, why aren't we learning? And the reason for what is, is kind of twofold. One is analytics or the analysis of the reports aren't connected to creatives right so it's a it ba rather than having a feedback loop you just have like a linear process that ends in a in a dead end it's with the report that's done presented to client but it's never fed back to creative there, there's some brands i've worked on that, where that is the case but it tends to be the exception rather than the norm um and part of that because i'm actually from a creative background i studied design and i CD for a while so I have a lot of empathy for creatives and for for creatives sitting through reports that for the most part isn't particularly relevant to them because the numbers that they're being presented are media numbers they're going to hey guys well done in your campaign you've got a very low cost per click like what am I supposed to do with that like I don't care if my CPM is low the people like my ad and because the the reports they're being shown were created by the media team because media sits with data they're very used to it but media designs reports to account for media's performance not to account for creative performance there's been some effort on on social side to then talk about oh, the number of likes that a post got but that's inherently problematic because if i put a lot of money behind a post it will just numerically get a lot more likes than another thing it also doesn't help me understand trends in my content and trends in my audience so where we've been able to have conversations with creative to go like, hey guys, when you want to talk about local relevance for, for this international brand, here's instances where it really, really well. And this is what it looks like. Now we can have some discussion on how prescriptive we want to get with it. Our view is to not get overly prescriptive with, you know, put the, the product at a three-quarter angle slightly from the top. That become, Then you get very boring work. That's not our job. Go, hey, this is what success looks like when people respond very well. Here's when it doesn't actually work very well. And here's how it differs from Twitter to Facebook because we're sitting with different communities on there and different contexts. 
then they're like, okay, cool, that makes sense. I can do something with it. But in the absence of framing, and this is for any form of analysis or report, unless the thing you're telling them has relevance to, to the person's job the next day, they don't care. It's not their job to care about how media is performing. That's why you have a media agency. Um, so for me, I put more of the, the blame on that, on the analysis and reporting function, and it not giving any useful feedback to the creative team. Yeah, but I mean, my question back to you is whose responsibility is it? And the other biggest gap in a creative agency is they don't have somebody like you sitting there to look at the numbers and analyze it. So obviously yeah. you need an analytic uh, resource yeah. sitting there. And I haven't seen that historically yeah. in, in creative agencies. I am seeing it now. They are remodeling, re-engineering yeah. creative agencies to almost have a uh, 360 approach and bringing yeah. in the, the science to it. Yeah, I'm, I am skeptical about agency ability to deliver on that. Um, I mean, obviously... You know, obviously, I have an analytics uh, consultancy, so I would be skeptical. <laughs> but there's a level of specialization needed and effort needed. I mean, this is all we do. Um, we do some digital strategy work, but it's with the view of, of tracking and making sense of data and then making very specific decisions after. So we'll work with startups, for instance. And there, the impact of marketing is very real on the survival of the business. Um, so we spend a lot of time in understanding what the data says, what it means, what numbers can I construct from it, um, what, what do I need to add to it, what tooling do we need to bring on board. And that is functionally how we make our money. The, one of the big challenges with an agency point of view is that reporting and analytics is an expense. It's the thing that's expected. And when it's a thing that's not being paid for, um, you it's difficult to invest enough resources to get something that's like very valuable out of it. Like we are basically an IT firm more than we are a marketing company, right? Um, and, you know, we license out our analytic infrastructure. We'll do um, like fractional uh, analysts that, can, that people can, that their clients can use. But it's understood that, you know, they're going to analyze work it is not part of something else that we're going to do. And then lastly, the problem is it's very dangerous to mock your own work and to both produce work and analyze the result of it. Given how precarious some agency-client relationships are, it becomes a difficult conversation. Unless you have a very, very strong relationship with your agency, um, it's, it's difficult to get a response of, oh, this just clearly didn't work. Um, some agencies won't feel very comfortable doing it. And understandably, won't feel very comfortable doing that. Mm. So I guess it's up to brands to yeah. actually take accountability and provide direction and lead yeah. the way. I think it's, it's up to brands to set the expectation. Mm. Right? If, if you're looking at a report and it doesn't make sense to you, I've had uh, so a friend of mine is a, a market director and one of the retailers here. And... and she like blind uh, She doesn't know what these reports mean, but it's kind of difficult to raise it in an agency context or in a kind of meeting context. You don't want to look like you don't want to look stupid, <laughs> you know. Um, 
But there's a lot of numbers being thrown around. Like we had reports of 80 plus pages for a monthly report. Why is it that long? Mm. Like what? It shouldn't be. It should be a page, and then we move on because there shouldn't be that many learnings in a month unless something like very very odd happened. Um, so for me, it starts off with markers going. What do I want my report and analysis to tell me? What am I trying to learn? And you prioritize that by understanding like, what are the pressures I'm under? What are the things I'm being asked for of, of C-suite that I have to now be, take responsibility for? Um, if it's very heavy on showing day-to-day results, ongoing results, showing learning, then understand what goes into getting that stuff. It's not an analyst doing some stuff. It's, a, it's an ecosystem. It's an infrastructure that supports it. Um, and you can ask your agencies, like, construct this report for me. Um, come back to me with my, the learnings of we advertised a certain product for an entire year. We talked about these messages. How well did, it, did that do? Now, that information should be basically a click, and then you have it. Like if you set up your data properly, uh, it's not a month-long exercise to do a, an analysis, which is basically is desperately trying to get the data together to, to answer your question. It, mm-hmm. it should be available. So I think as with any brief, you know, marketers went through the, the phase of when digital um, came out, like every brief had to have a digital component to it, which is, which is right, you know, and they, they pressed agencies on it. Then social uh, expanded as the thing that you have to do. So now it's social first or social integrated or a 360 campaign. Now there's a brief on, okay, cool, but design for data as well design for the learnings we want and the things we want to know about this campaign. Yeah, I like that, design for data, which we don't give much thought to as marketers is how do we design for data up front instead of looking at reports that has uh, not a lot of value back to to marketers at the end of the day. So, uh, Mateus, in closing, what, what would you like to leave our listeners with? from a brand and agency perspective, you know, what is the future going to look like in the next two to three years when it comes to data analytics? My suspicion is more advanced. There's probably going to be a balance in an understanding of what data can tell us and how we can get use out of it and then what data can't tell us. There's still, and there should remain, like a big um, area for creative expression for making things that are unexpected. Data can't lead to unexpected. People create messages and brands and TV ads that are unexpected. But data can play a very important role in freeing up people's time. Go like, hey, you're doing all of these things across all of these touch points. This is what your your basics should look like. 70% of your stuff, just do this thing. 30% 30% of it, just play. Like, bring in your experts. Bring in the, the, the creatives, those kind of rock star creatives who are so good at making these ads. And let them focus on fewer things that will have like standout impact. And they don't have to worry about all of these other little things that just have to get on with the job at hand. And analytics can play a massive role in understanding what, are, what does that look like. The things just have to go... And, and do the job at hand. And on a macro scale, then you can start to look at, at analyzing the impact of your marketing overall. But 
data for marketing requires deliberate planning. It is not a thing you can do post hoc. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matthias, for joining us. And it was a great conversation. Awesome. Absolute pleasure. Okay, cool. Bye. Bye-bye. We're excited. You're excited. I really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and to keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe. Follow our Instagram handle at TalkDigitalZA. Engage us on our website at TalkDigitalZA.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.